Have you been wanting to maybe switch over to an audiobook? Well, now's the time to look into Audible Plus membership and start your free 30-day trial. On Audible Plus, you'll find thousands of Audible originals, audiobooks, and podcasts. If after those 30 days you decide to keep your membership, you can do so at a low price of $7.95 a month. So click on the links in the episode bio, or you can find the links at dgfgllc.com. DGFG is proud to present Grabbing the Mic with Nikki Judge and Friends, a podcast with a purpose where real and raw conversations are had about real world experiences happening in society on a daily basis. Real talk leading to a greater awareness and understanding in areas of social injustices and marginalized communities, entrepreneurship, gender equality and empowerment, politics, science, adversity, finding promise, positivity and inspiration and so much more. So get comfortable and get ready for great talks and many moments of laughter with Nikki. Welcome everybody. This is the seventh episode of Grabbing the Mic with Nikki Judge and Friends. Um, as you could probably tell, my voice does not sound like Nikki. Um, and I'm not quite as funny because I'm not a comedian, but this is Kristen Parsky joining uh, you this week. And um, Nikki is not able to be with us. She had some something come up personal that she needed to take care of. But just like Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest, they need a break and somebody to fill in here and there. So um, I am just super excited today because I get to have a guest join us that um, <coughs> excuse me, was part of my childhood. And we just have recently reconnected. And it's, it's super special to have that reconnection and um, our lives in between kind of parallel each other. But she's doing something, something so impactful and important that um, I ju we just felt like it was really important to have Signa come on. So everybody, today we have the honor of having Signa Darpinian join us and welcome Signa. Hey Kristen, thanks for having me. No problem, thanks for joining us. Signa is a licensed marriage family therapist, LMFT if you see those letters in the lingo somewhere, and a certified eating disorder specialist. Um, she is also the host of her own podcast called Therapy Rocks, so go check that out. Um, it's a great podcast, um, just going over things about personal growth and different topics there. And um, I'm going to let Signa kind of give her bio a little bit better than I could wrap that up. So um, Signa, can you kind of just give us a breakdown of of what you do, your business? We know you have um, your private practice offices and two uh, California locations. Um, so can you give us a little rundown of what you do and, and what you're up to these days? I sure can. So like you said, I have two private practice locations. One is in the Central Valley region of California, where we are both from and grew mm -hmm. up together. And one is in the San Francisco Bay Area, more specifically Oakland, the East Bay, California. And, you know, as of COVID times, I'm, I'm doing more telehealth and telehealth, uh, you know, um, I'm licensed in the state of California. So, so lately with eating difficulties, um, I'm really able to serve a lot of my colleagues and I are serving California, not just the regions that we usually see clients live. Right. And just kind of going back to our last episode, we had Dr. Miller on and who, uh, has told us that, you know, to be prepared because telehealth is, is pretty much here to stay. It's going to be um, a main right. mechanism. So um, our listeners can really just uh, wrap their head around, take the time to wrap their head around that um, 
therapy is very important and you will have those face-to-face -face, um, sessions coming forward in the new normal, but, but telehealth therapy will also be very pivotal going forward and, um, and we just encourage everybody to reach out in any way, whether it's in person or telehealth to get the, their providers um, meeting with them and getting their needs met. Um, I have a question for you because um, sure. you are actually joining us to, today to speak about eating disorders. And um, I'm just wondering, has that always been a focus for you? How did you evolve to making that a focus of your profession and, and doing the work you do? Oh, that's a great question, Kristen. It's been a long time since I've been asked that. So it's fun to, to answer and to think about. So, you know, when I went to grad school for psychology, I graduated somewhere around 1999, uh, 2000. And it's interesting because um, I don't actually remember eating disorders being covered in grad school at all. And so a couple years in my internship, um, so marriage family therapists are interns for <laughs> lots of hours, so lots of years. Right. And right. So while I was in my internship, um, a colleague of mine, her daughter was experiencing these medical complications and nobody knew what it was. Uh, it turns out it was an eating disorder and she actually almost lost her daughter to an eating disorder. And at the time, we were on the same track as interns together. And so at the time we, we turned to this uh, nonprofit organization called the Center for Human Services in Modesto. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. And we said, hey, you know, we don't know a lot about eating disorders. And, you know, we've had this, this come up and we're really interested in learning more about it. And at that time, there was, you know, clearly more funding and we were able, able to start going to some of our first um, national conferences and start to learn more about eating disorders and how to treat them. And that was about, yeah, that was about 20 years ago, if you're going to count my really green stage. So that's how right. we got started. Okay. Yeah. And do you feel like that's uh, an area of um, therapy that's, that's, kind of evolving even more and becoming less about well I know as therapists people come to us and say well we didn't want to get help because we didn't want to talk about something that was that difficult or people felt a certain way or afraid or fear of what was what was going to be received on the other hand on the other side of it if they said they had um, some difficulties with eating um, no matter how long that was so um, do you feel like it's becoming more um, prevalent in our profession that there's becoming more specialists out there to address the problems? Well, yeah, that's, that's an interesting way to think of it. I, you know, in, in the 20 year span, there is definitely a difference in what I see now compared to what I saw, you know, in 1999 and 2000. And what I'm seeing now is that because we have more information about eating disorders, that, that parents, for example, are able to catch the warning signs more quickly. And so we're getting, which is really nice because of course the most favorable outcome in treatment is, is catching it quickly. Mm -hmm. And so they, they're catching the warning signs earlier and earlier, which is really exciting to see because of, you know, just the increase in knowledge that we have. Right. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's something, there's definitely access to care issues. Um, but if there, if there is access to care, it's definitely 
seems to be a type of therapy that people, you know, it's not like doing personal growth work in, in therapy, right? right? Which right. is such a nice luxury, you know, mm-hmm. it's it, because of the medical complications of eating disorders. And, and your listeners may know that out of the diagnostic manual that we use as therapists, it has the, the second highest mortality rate of any other mental illness right. and second to opioid abuse. And so it ends up being this mental health issue that sort of has to be addressed very quickly. It doesn't mean that everybody who should be getting care does get care. Mm-hmm. It's just something that, that most people attend to as quickly as they can. Right, right. Okay. Um, and you you do have um, some books that, that you are – we actually have one that's that's out, and I'll let you speak to that, and you have one that's kind of – in the making right now and soon to be released. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about you becoming an author? Oh, sure. Um, you know, that's a funny story. About three or four years ago, probably four years ago at this point, I was working on um, a, a, a workbook for teenagers, a preventative workbook. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, really busy just kind of submitting them to different publishing houses. And I went to give this talk at the Stanford Eating Disorder Division. And um, I was talking about, you know, non-diet approaches to food and preventative measures and body positivity. And one of my colleagues in the audience kind of pulled me aside and she said, hey, you know, if, if you ever, you know, are interested, let me know. And I'd love to, you know, do a teen workbook with you. And I'm like, are, are you serious? Because I'm actually working on one right now. I would love for you to join me. And so that's how we actually joined forces. And then we both all also sought out a, a, a dietitian that is an expert in eating disorders and is also a sports dietitian to work with us as well. And so it ended up being this really much more comprehensive workbook than I originally thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Or more comprehensive than it would have been with just me as the therapist. And so the three of us did it, which is nice. We kind of right. cover all bases. And um, our, our publishing house is called Jessica Kingsley Publishers. Their, their headquarters are in London. Um, recently during COVID, because of the spike in disordered eating and eating mm-hmm. disorders that we're seeing, they asked if we would be interested in doing a parent book. So it's sort of like a part two of the teen book, but this, this one is for parents and we're working on that right now. We're due to uh, submit that into them in May. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put some, um, links in our episode bio to, um, to Cigna's book that's, that's already out. And then we'll, uh, go ahead and uh, let you know, um, on our social medias as her time is approaching for the second, uh, book release and, uh, um, putting the links as well so that you can, um, Go, go get the part two when it comes yeah, out. Yeah, that would be great. It's been yeah. it's been a lot of fun, and it's it. I feel really grateful to get an opportunity to mm-hmm. do a part two because there's a lot that needs updating, and it's just yeah, we're just right. adding in pieces that weren't in the first book, and it's it's just been a ton of fun. Yeah, it sounds like a great great endeavor that you've embarked on as a author, and I, I look forward to reading it myself. Well, thanks, Kristen. Um, and, and flipping off from the writing portion, you also do speaking engage- engagements. Is that I correct? I do. I do. And um, I got to say, it's it's been a while since I've done any speaking gigs, and so this is such a treat yeah. today. You know, I feel like I feel like a guest at a party compared to <laughs> <laughs> compared to the host. I, I don't have to do any of the work. I just kind of show up. What are you going to ask yeah. me, Kristen? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. 
Um, when you, you normally do speaking engagements, though, are they more like in the educational realm, the businesses, medical arenas? Yeah. Where Where do you normally do those? Right. So as you can imagine, not a lot of that has gone on during COVID. Sure, but before sure. COVID, I would go into the schools mm-hmm. pretty often. Um, lately, it's been more Bay Area schools. And that would be more prevention, you know, talking to parents uh, about prevention. And but then I would also do uh, like the the most recent uh, organization that I did a talk for was um, the Women of Wine group at Gallo, which is in our shared hometown. Mm -hmm. And so there was a, a lovely group there just kind of talking about you know, body satisfaction, non-diet approaches to food, a little psychoeducation. And so those Mm -hmm. are, those would be like a couple of examples um, of talks I've done recently. And then I, I sometimes do television pieces, which has been happening more for, you know, local TV stations. Um, And that, that happened, you know, quite a bit for, for all of us in the field of eating disorders during COVID, especially just because of what we see happening with the rise in eating disorder cases. Okay, well, that's wonderful. I did not know you yeah. had those those on the um, the TV episodes and uh, or recordings in the past. So we'll keep an eye out for that as well and, and yeah. link those. Um, so today um, we've asked you to kind of come on in and talk to our listeners um, and just a very general overview of eating disorders. And some of this is coming from back in February where it's tagged the the eating disorder awareness. Um, month, week, whatever it is, but mm-hmm. really, it's not just in February. We have to we have to put awareness to it 365 um, days of the year because it, it's really become, um, as as you know, as I know, more more well known, and and we're able to talk about it a little bit more freely, um, and hopefully, in doing that, get the the word out to not only the the patients, the identified. Uh, person needing the help, but also to their support system, being family, friends, whoever that might be. So we're just asking Cigna to come on and kind of just give us that general overview. Um, But my first question is because eating disorders um, can be so broad, how do you define it? Oh, yeah, you know, it's a great question, Kristen. Um, I'll give you a little bit of an overview. And then I thought today I might bring in a little bit of... um, you know, some information that is not as common that we don't hear as often. But for starters, um, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that the audience knows that there has been in my field of eating disorders, this persistent myth right. that eating disorders only affect young, white, affluent, cis women. Mm-hmm. But eating disorders impact all ages, races, genders, sexual orientations and socioeconomic statuses and i put that out there because you know as a result of these misconceptions about who eating disorders affect there's um you know the real consequence Mm -hmm. of leading to fewer diagnoses uh cases being looked over um fewer treatment options and you know just pathways for help for those who don't fit the stereotype so i want to just say that out loud And then I thought we would start with anorexia nervosa. Mm -hmm. And I think most of us have heard about anorexia nervosa, Mm -hmm. which is typically characterized uh, by weight loss or a lack of appropriate weight gain um, in growing children. So sometimes, you know, with a child, maybe it doesn't look so much as a dip in weight on their growth chart, but, but more a plateau, a plateauing happening. So um, at a time of life when they should be gaining or growing. 
um, okay. gaining and gaining and growing, not gaining or growing. <laughs> yeah. They should both be happening together. Yes. And so that's anorexia. It's, it's restrictive. Um, and uh, I think what some people might not realize is there is also a, you know, a, a diagnosis code called uh, atypical anorexia. It doesn't get as much um, attention. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of people, myself included, that aren't so happy that there even needs to be a term atypical anorexia. So what that might look like is an individual um, genetically naturally living in a larger body um, who is restricting their calories. Uh, that's atypical anorexia. Oh, okay. And and one of the leading experts in our field, Dr. Deborah Burgard, mm -hmm. she always uses this metaphor of, you know, it doesn't matter how high in the sky the plane is when the engine drops, right? Mm -hmm. So restricting calories and um, losing weight rapidly is dangerous at any weight. So I just want to put that out there. I think that's uh, actually really interesting because I think as as we started to go through school back in 90s 2000s it was really just you know anorexia bulimia it didn't right. have the different uh, uh, diagnosis codes that have evolved with that original dsm right. uh, criteria so um, right. that's interesting to hear that it's um it's kind of ever growing with with the actual um focus itself so right yeah and they made some some good changes mm -hmm. um to the diagnosis code but uh we still need more so right. uh anorexia at with higher weights or individuals living in larger bodies that mm -hmm. needs recognition as well and that's an example of what we talked about in the beginning um you know for people that aren't fitting the stereotype they're they're missing the diagnoses and um it's getting very severe before it gets uh treated right so and the another eating disorder so there are three technically three eating mm -hmm. disorders um Another one is binge eating disorder, and binge eating disorder is, is interesting because that did not make it into the diagnostic manual that we were talking about until 2013. So okay. binge eating disorder used to be considered um, other, it's called OSFED, so other specified mm -hmm. eating disorder. So it wasn't until 2013 that it got recognized as its own clinical eating disorder, which okay. is kind of interesting. And binge eating disorder is well something i want to say about binge eating disorder that people might not know is oftentimes in my caseload which is almost all eating disorders not not everybody but most everybody mm -hmm. um they'll come in thinking that they have binge eating disorder when in reality uh they there are days where they are not eating enough which is leading to the binges so they might be restricting their calories on some sort of fad diet and then another and, day they're just yeah eating and consuming so a lot Right. So in actuality, you know, because you can't, you know, trick your biology, you can, right. you can only sustain that restriction for so long. And then you're going, you're going, most people, not everybody will start binging on food because the body is so brilliant. It's trying to bring individuals back up to their, you know, set point weight, which is the most scientific term. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's the, the weight that the body wants to naturally be at. And so, you know, it takes a little teasing out to figure out, is this individual actually in what we call a deprived devour cycle? Mm -hmm. Or do they have clinical binge eating disorder where they are binging um, on food um, 
you know, and binging is, is, is kind of hard to define because right. <laughs> it's not, it's not like a specific calorie amount. It's usually food that is eaten more rapidly, um, in a more discreet period of time. Um, it's usually not done in full view of others and there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, shame associated with it. And so, uh, but binge eating disorder does, does not have any, what's called a uh, compensatory behavior. So compensatory is just fancy for compensate. Right. So, um, they're just binging. They're not having days of restriction or, or, or engaging in other behaviors to quote unquote, get rid of food. So I think that, um, and, and you can probably help define this a little bit more. So if we use the image of if, if the listeners are watching the crown or whatever, or just seeing other documentaries, um, on the British monarchy and they've seen the, the, uh, footage, whether it's correct or incorrect, how accurate, we will never know, but, uh, regarding Diana and she'd go for days without not eating and then she'd eat a lot. But we also know she's bulimic because she would, uh, go ahead and get rid of what she had consumed. So, um, I guess my question to you is with that visual kind of a thing, um, is it better for somebody absent the other criteria that we don't have in front of us to really think that's more uh, standalone bulimia or is there some binge eating disorder in there as well? Because she would go for long periods of time without eating from what we know. Right. So that wouldn't be binge eating disorder. You're mm-hmm. correct. That would be from what I know. I'm not, I'm not, I, I know about her eating disorder loosely and right. I have not, my daughter is, uh, I really want to watch the crown, but sure. she's, she's 11. She's like, no, I don't want to. Um, and so that would be bulimia from, from what I understand sure. and which, which dovetails us into bulimia mm-hmm. and bulimia nervosa is, you know, uh, obvious, obviously, or not obviously, uh, also a, a serious, uh, potentially life-threatening eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And it's characterized by exactly what you said. Um, the cycle, a cycle of binging, but also compensatory behaviors. So there's binging, but then, um, engaging in other behaviors to, to get rid of the food, which I, I like how you naturally knew Kristen to not bring up the ways in which one might get rid of food. I think mm-hmm. I always think it's a good idea to not quote unquote teach it. So, right. um, you caught on to that. You already knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I caught that. Nice job. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we don't want to give anybody any exactly. ideas, but, um, there's, exactly. there's a lot that's seen out there in media sure. as we know. Totally. Um, and, and we do have a younger and younger crowd watching, um, you know, some adult topics. And like I said, we, sure. we choose, you choose when you, you, you have your daughter watch it. Other people choose when it's appropriate, but they may not have a forewarning of what's going, going to be out there. Right. Um, and so just FYI for <laughs> any listeners out there that have been thinking about, um, different, um, different shows to watch that have, uh, these issues. If you're not ready for it and not ready to address it, um, probably should hold back on that until you get um the information in front of you because kids will ask that and we don't want to give them any ideas so yeah that's a good good point yeah well and then Kristen there's one other piece that I should bring in about eating disorders um clinical eating disorders um what they all have in common is something we call uh an undue um an undue meaning excessive right Mm -hmm. so an undue influence of self-evaluation in regards to weight and shape And that's a little tricky because our culture, right? Mm -hmm. It has an undue influence of self-evaluation in regards to weight and shape. And so 
Um, it's definitely more pronounced with a clinical eating disorder, but um, it's also really tricky, you know, to mm-hmm. be in recovery from an eating disorder when the the culture you're returning to in your recovery has its own eating disorder. You know, you're returning diet to diet culture to diet culture yes yeah exactly yeah yeah um so what are some of the warning signs that parents um because we do have pretty much a lot of our crowd is is uh that 20 to 40 mid 40 range so what that have a lot of of kiddos so what are some of the warning signs our parents um can look out for as well as ourselves oh yeah good one um you know, the warning signs here, here's what we're seeing lately, because the warning signs, they sort of change with the culture. Mm-hmm. I've never really said that out loud, but I'm noticing it in my caseload. And we are, we're also writing about it in the parent book. Um, lately, mm-hmm. what I see with the warning signs, um, this is, this is almost always what I hear when I get my first call about, um, from a parent, you know, that has a child that they suspect has an eating disorder. So typically what they'll start off by saying is that, you know what, um, I thought, you know, I just thought that he, she, they were just starting to eat healthy and to start to exercise more. It just seemed like healthy eating and they were trying to eat really healthy and, and exercise more. And I didn't realize that there was all this weight loss happening because typically, you know, individuals, not always, but they wear right. baggy clothes and, you know, we're not very often like in a dressing room with our child and, you know, depending on the age. And so it can be disguised for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And the reason that sneaks under the radar is that we, we have been so obsessed with quote unquote healthy eating mm-hmm. um, and excessive exercise. There's a lot of morality, you know, um, mm-hmm. tied up and in, in, in what we call healthism tied up in those two things. And what I often say, and, you know, it doesn't always go over well, um, but I hope people could understand where I'm coming from because it's all that I'm treating and it's right. a very serious, uh, life-threatening illness. Um, I, you know, only eating healthy or healthy eating is really not that healthy. It's mm-hmm. not normal okay. to only eat quote unquote healthy food, you know? So, so what we, what we talk about in the world of eating disorder, eating disorders or eating disorder prevention or what we're aiming for is what we call, uh, an all foods fit paradigm okay so we really want our children we want ourselves we want to have food freedom we don't want to reduce our food choices to nutrients only that's not the way that we've evolved to eat right and but but that is the most common warning sign you know if there's a significant change and all of a sudden your you know teenager is or your young person is is suddenly wanting to eat so much more healthy um it's a tricky one though, you know, cause right. it gets, it's so, it's so culturally sanctioned. Um, and if they're exercising more, another warning sign that is, is also one of the most common ones that we see is if your child suddenly decides to become vegetarian, mm. um, and there isn't any, you know, faith base or values connected to the vegetarianism, um, no history of, you know, love for animals or, right. you know, concern for the climate. So if those values are missing, and that the, the, the desire to become a vegetarian in the presence of all this other stuff going on, that, that's typically a red flag. Okay. Yeah. So vegetarianism, healthy eating, exercising more, um, and obviously at the doctor's office, you know, mm-hmm. if, if there's any, on the growth chart, if there's any significant dip in weight, plateau in weight, 
um, a big spike in weight, you know, th mm -hmm. those are those are worth looking at. Okay. Well, and I think that you just you mentioned something that we sh we should go over as well is the medical component to it. Um, there may be other underlying reasons. Somebody is might might have a bigger shape than the person sitting next to them. Uh, I could think of yep. some uh, polycystic ovary syndrome as one yep. of them. PCOS. Yes. Um, yep. There have even been celebrities that have come forward, and God bless them for doing this because it's that's a huge diagnosis, and that's. Um, I'm so glad for them. Yes. Yeah, it, it's either somebody has gained a, sub a substantial amount of weight because of PCOS, right. or they're, they have PCOS, and I've seen the other ones just can't gain any weight. And either one of those is a medical reason that that, you, that Cigna or her um, her other therapists in this field may see uh, and work on that psychological and emotional component to this, but we can't overlook that medical um, and physical component to it, um, especially with something like PCOS or some other reason, maybe it'd be a thyroid issue. Um, right, exactly. So there, there could be a exactly. number of reasons. And because we're in this diet culture, I think it's um, quick for others to judge one another, whoever's sitting next to them, but we just don't sure. know. And if we, we put no that, if we put that judgment or perception or shame on somebody that we just, just don't know what they're going through, um, we're just really setting uh, them up for something. And it may some, be something that people unintentionally do. They don't even know that they're giving right. off that, that vibe or that look or something. Um, but yeah, I think, um, we'd be remiss to not, um, mention that if parents are seeing something to also take and, uh, do their due diligence with the medical component to it. Exactly. And you're, yeah. you're bringing up a great point, Kristen, because, Let's say that an individual, you know, goes in and, and, and maybe there is a significant spike in the growth chart. Right. Um, then, then sure, you know, you want to check out other systems. You know, it, it's right. one particular biometric marker, but it, it's not so uncommon for it to get addressed in the doctor's office in a way that's that's harmful. Mm -hmm. And so um, I like to, you know, a preventative measure that I take um, is... If my, like, I, I just called my daughter's doctor's office, and of course, we're all, you know, pretty behind, understandably, sure. with our, our well checks. Mm -hmm. And when I call, I just like to say ahead of time, like, hey, I just want to make sure we're coming in, and I would like for there to be no talk about weight. If you have something to talk to me about a biometric marker, mm -hmm. it can be done in the presence of me and not my daughter. So that's just, you know, cause you, you never know, unless it's a doctor that you go to on a regular basis and you know, they're, you know, that they're what's called weight inclusive and they have a health at every size approach that they use that is really gaining momentum with healthcare professionals, which is so fun to see. Right. Um, you know, unless you know that ahead of time, you're, you're just going to assume that they don't have a weight inclusive approach and right. they can do a, a lot of harm. And so I just like to put in that call ahead of time and just make sure that they know that we're coming in. And if you talk about this in front of my daughter, we might kind of go rolling down wrestling through the hallway, you know, mm -hmm. might not go over very well. I'm yeah. kidding. Sort of. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mostly. get it. I have I... had the fantasy, but yeah. <laughs> I get yeah. it. And I, I think it's so important, if possible. I, I know there's a lot of people out there that um, because of uh, COVID and the economy and they've lost their jobs, that the, the options of who can and can't treat um, our, our kiddos um, mm -hmm. may be more limited right now. Yes. Um, but if, if at any point in time you, you do have that option to have a pediatrician that has, has been focused um, on uh, being that being weight inclusive and really um, 
understanding that um, arena that you might have some questions about, I think that's super important to seek those providers out. If, right, if and just going to check in ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah, just a quick note, just to make sure, uh, just in case. It's it's because it can do a ton of damage that's very hard to undo. So even for my adult clients, you know, going to the doctor's office, mm -hmm. especially for somebody who's living in a larger body, um, it can be very traumatizing. And oftentimes an individual at a higher weight will avoid going to the doctor because there's no really great time to go get shamed, right. um, which makes medical complications worse, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it's always, it's always good to just sort of check in and make sure that, um, that they have somebody they're working with that's weight inclusive, but to be, to be positive though, to be on a more positive note, there's a ton of work left to do, right. but it, it also is gaining momentum in a way that, uh, I think eventually it will be the new norm, this uh, health at every size paradigm. Are we seeing more uh, medical providers out there that actually have, uh, support staff involved with their clinics or are there practices that um, if they're not able to spend the time and address it um, because you know they're just the practice is, is weighed down with just so many oh, uh, sure. patients they need to see in a day do they are, are we seeing a more of a shift where there's additional uh, PAs or, or dietitians or somebody involved in those practices that can help address and work as a team well, yeah, and I, you're bringing up a great point because um, it, 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 I think in the medical field also, uh, they don't have the luxury that I do in a, in a 50 minute therapy session, you know, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. like an hour and 20 minutes in the intake. And so when they're, you know, walking into the office, they have super limited time slots and they're just slammed, you know, it, it's tricky because the, the, the first kind of tangible thing they see is an individual's weight. And so I think that historically that that's been part of the problem, you know? Right. Um, but yes, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say there's still some not great stuff going on in regards to, um, medical teams and the way okay. they respond to weight, but I'm, but I'm in the Bay area and, mm -hmm. um, I, I have a, a new medical provider and, you know, I asked her ahead of time for myself, but also, uh, so that I know if I can refer clients to her. And I was like, do you talk to people about their weight? Um, <laughs> cause right. I noticed there, there was no scale. Um, and, and she said, what, well, why, why would I ever do that? I'm like, Oh, thank goodness. So anyway, right. they're, they're definitely out there, but I think that that was also her natural instinct to not talk about, you know? Right. Which is, which is nice. I think we're understanding more and more how um, big of a deal this is. Um, and oppression, so, mm -hmm. you know, fat phobia, weight stigma, right? Right. Um, oppression is, is bad for health in any form. And right. so this, this topic, uh, another term for it is sizeism, you know, right. um, is, is sort of slow to, to, to come around, but, but it's happening. There are a lot of really great providers t making a ton of movement in, in this field you know, right. on this path. And I'm happy it's, it's evolving to, to not being so taboo. And then pe we could talk about it and make those, uh, those progressions in this field. So I, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful for the future of it. So, Me too. Um, Me too. but I can, I can tell you for myself, um, in, in my fifties here, uh, that especially <laughs> as your body changes and you got COVID for the last year, right. um, and if, you know, some people are high risk, so they couldn't get out and exercise the way they wanted to, limited in the house. Um, mm -hmm. So how has COVID impacted not only kids, but the adults um, as, as far as the field of eating disorders? 
Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's been a year, you know, and I imagine that this has gone on in every area, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just get, I get so, um, such a narrow focus treating just eating disorders. So of course I'll only speak to my field, but I know that there are just mental, uh, arise in mental health issues in general, um, mm-hmm. because we have this collective anxiety, this uncertainty that we've not ever really had to tolerate in quite this way before. Um, but in my field specifically, um, there there has, how do I, where do I even begin? Um, again, I'm in the Bay Area. So just to give you an idea, mm-hmm. um, the UCSF Eating Disorder Program, um, they do an amazing job. Well, mm-hmm. during COVID, the, the increase in hospitalizations for eating disorders has doubled. And the increase in their outpatient services has tripled, just to kind of give you an idea. Okay. And the hotline that is the most used, um, and is a resource you want to make sure, we want to make sure your listeners have, mm-hmm. it's called NIDA. So National, the, the National Eating Disorders Association, they have a hotline and a chat. And during COVID, um, the hotline calls in the beginning months especially were up by 80%. And then oh, now, okay. yeah, and now a year into the pandemic, they they are on the rise a steady 40%. Just to kind of give you an idea. And okay. I think I think what's happened, I mean, you know, obviously it's multifactorial. There's so many layers here, but I I think that what's happened is that you'll you'll have individuals that maybe were far along in their recovery before COVID. Mm-hmm. But then COVID hits and there are so many triggers that cause this perfect storm, right? You've got right. isolation and eating disorders thrive in isolation. Right. You've got a, a loss of structure, mm-hmm. lack of structure, life yeah. as we've known it, um, a loss of the support people, um, you know, very different things going on with food depending on, you know, an individual's situation. So there's, you know, anything from food scarcity um, to the first month, months of COVID where some people were, you know, really hoarding food because they were worried about being in quarantine and access to the grocery store. Right. Um, for people who have more restrictive eating disorders, such as anorexia, um, you know, food not being as quote unquote safe, you know, um, mm-hmm. having to eat foods that are much more triggering and, and a lot scarier. I mean, it just goes on and on. Right. And so, um, yeah, uh, Trying to think if I missed anything, but th- those are the main ones. And I, I sort of think of it this way. Um, there's this this great quote from a book I read back in the day, and a dietitian that treats eating disorders um, came up with the quote, and she said, she said treating an eating disorder is like fighting a forest fire. You can't, right. you cannot leave an ember smoldering. Mm-hmm. So for some people. There was maybe their symptoms, the symptoms of their eating disorder were, were significantly down, but there was an amber smoldering that they maybe didn't, didn't even know right. it was there. And COVID ignited the ember, if that metaphor makes sense. No, totally. And then the last uh, doc that we had on, Dr. Miller, he um, he said something and it really, really struck as true is that we just have been faced with this nuclear mental explosion that just happened in a year and um and it's been this nuclear catastrophe just emotionally and mentally for everybody that that's just overcome whether that be parents whether that be children that's just overcome and overwhelmed all of us 
right and, and just the fear of the unknown it just you know it just sure. is this domino effect and you if you already have that ember kind of smoldering right it just gonna ignite it exactly exactly and and you know it, it's these are things that aren't gonna you know stop the minute that covid does right right i mean um they it, it's depending on you know everybody is experienced in this in a in a very different way right. but it's it's kind of like trauma right it doesn't right. just like go away you know so yeah i think in every field you know there's going to be a, a lot of work to do um well after covid is over right and i think as we kind of wrap up our interview here i got another couple questions for you and then i'll sure. let you get on to uh, spending time with your family and your practice um, it is really to focus on each and every one of us are going to come out of this with a different experience. We're going to look different. Mm -hmm. We're going to think different. Um, but we're going to go back to the diet culture. It's still going to be there. Totally. <laughs> it hasn't gone totally. away in the years. So we right. still, we see what's on, we still see what's on the movies, the TVs, whatever. So it's still there. Yes. But how do we train our minds to think, in that supportive way as we emerge kind of in this new day dawning of what that might look like how do we retrain our minds to be to go from the shame and the judgment of whether it be on ourselves or somebody surrounding us to that more supportive mindset and i think that's going to become a big challenge um, right so Agreed. to move away from the shame and move to the support um and and just kind of adopt a different mindset and um I don't know if you can kind of speak to that as far as, you know, how do we become in, in that more inclusive, supportive model and uh, look for those those uh, preventative measures that we can take as we embark on this new journey of this okay. new normal. Oh, Kristen, I love it. Um, it. Well, it made me think of one other thing in, in closing. Um, mm -hmm. In COVID, we've also had a lot more time online. Right. And that means a lot more exposure to social media, which exactly. of course, of course, can be can be um, at least in my world, there is, you know, there's a lot of positive because there mm -hmm. are, you know, eating disorder support communities that have been incredible. Right. Um, but there's also a lot of negative there. And um, I, I know that we unfortunately have all been exposed to this this notion of like, oh, the COVID-15, you know, mm -hmm. which is is quite harmful. Um you know, we're all just doing the best that we can to survive exactly. you know, a global pandemic. And if there has been some weight gain as a result, um, you know, for s so many reasons, um, and, and may maybe, for example, maybe using food as a way to cope, you know, as one example, um, has had something to do with it. Well, I, there's, there's a professional in our field that calls it a creative adaptation for survival. Right. And so what I would encourage people to do is instead of, you know, you know, of course, it's going to be tempting to want to go on the latest fad diet. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know that most people know this, but diets have a 95 to 98 percent failure rate. Um, so, you know, it's not a $72 billion business because, right. you know, it works, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, like Vegas. <laughs> they just move from one to the other. Exactly. They're yeah. like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of like Vegas, right? It doesn't right. get so big, right? Because we're winning all the time. Yeah, this table's not winning, so I'm going to move to something else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, I, I think it's important for, for people to consider mm -hmm. um, doing the next best thing. And I would... 
I would I would encourage people to consider uh, non-diet approaches, which has also become quite a fad. And so you have to be sort of careful about right. the literature that you, you do pull. Um, but really just kind of getting back to what the body already knows how to do. Right. And that is, you know, uh, hopefully eating within the first couple hours you're awake. But after that, eating to appetite, mm-hmm. um, kind of tuning in and deciding from the inside what it is that you would like to eat within your within what is available to you. OK, right. so sometimes we use we use uh, what's called the three T's. So say it's app, it's it, you're, you're hungry. Right. Hopefully not too hungry. Right. Um, you tune in, decide from the inside. What what do I want my taste, tec- texture, temperature to be this this time around Mm -hmm. um do your best to get access to that particular food within reason um and and stopping it just enough um but also you know not freaking out when you overeat or you know that's that's just part of normal eating you know right so non-diet approaches more connected eating approaches toward food is is a great starting place um and as far as parents go you know um we i'm i'm on the the body positive partnership council. Now the body positive is, um, the the headquarters are in Berkeley Mm -hmm. and they say that good prevention is 10% problem and 90% solution. So I think it's important, you know, for us to think about like, what can we do preventatively? And as parents, I think it's important to start with ourselves you know, mm-hmm. in, 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 you know, finding the literature that speaks to us and developing a friendship with food and body so that we can integrate it and have a knowing of it ourselves so that we can extend that onto the young people in our home. Right. And of course this applies, you know, to yourself if you do or do not have children. Right. But I, I think parents are a lot better nowadays at knowing the right things to say or not say as it relates to food and body. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is oftentimes an incongruency with what they are saying um, and what they are doing themselves and their own relationship to, to food and body, right. which is certainly understandable given the culture that we live in. But but really taking a look at, at your own body image and food issues as well as your own... Um, weight stigma that you mm-hmm. may have internalized is is a great starting place right right and you know there's a piece that we didn't go over um you know i love that that michael phelps has been super super duper open about um his level of depression there's a there's with eating disorders there's such a level of depression that's still there for people and people don't want to either acknowledge that they have depression or uh, own it, but it's not something to be afraid of. And I think that's great that right. he uh, goes out there and puts that message out there that's, you know, don't, don't be afraid of the depression because then th- th- if you do that, that consumes you to these other issues that could come about. It's sure. just m- more address it. Um, and, right. you know, and I think, look, Demi Lovato has been great too, you know, she but has. she's, I'm great and glad that she is that that spokesperson right now for her bulimia. I think that's super important as well. But there, there's with the both of these um, celebrities and these well celebrity athletes um, that they're they're acknowledging. Okay, we have these other issues that are super important, but we also have the depression component to it. So don't shy away from that. Just address it. 
Yeah, you know, and in um, and in my particular field, de- depression or anxiety are right. definitely genetic predispositions. Sure. And you're right. If 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 we're not careful and mindful about it, it can get um, communicated through what we call like communication behaviors, such as food, for example. Right. You know, but but yes, um, depression. You know, I'm glad that therapy, or I think I'm. You know, when you are a therapist, you're yeah. in a little bit of a bubble um, about what people do with therapy. But I, I know that in my field specifically, it's not so often that um, we see males showing up, especially in the in the field of eating disorders. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I really respect people like that, you know, coming forward and talking about these things and, and just taking the air out of it, you know, because right. when it's private, it's it just gains so much momentum. And um, males, um, by the time they, you know, they they aren't as likely to go to therapy to begin with, Mm -hmm. um, but they certainly aren't as likely to go to therapy, to seek out therapy for a body image related issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the time we see males presenting in therapy, 50% of them are requiring hospitalization by the time they seek treatment. So it's really good when we see males coming forward and these role Mm -hmm. models really speaking about it to, to encourage others to come forward. So with that male component to it, um, because it's not just a female eating disorders, we got to get rid of it that it's just a female problem because there's a right. significant amount of males that have issues as well. But when that when some of them are are overdoing it, uh, working out, whatever their mindset is that they've just got to go 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 and work out to to look a certain way, right. Is that something that we're not necessarily wanting to label anybody out there if they're doing their fitness game? That's great. But is there another component that you've seen in the field where these I are have. male? Okay. I have. I have. And and just a quick shout out to the transgender population. Mm-hmm. We're seeing about a five times the incidence of eating disorders. And, and those studies are still in their infancy. But okay. there are people really dedicating their, their, work, their life's work. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. And with males, you know, I um, I have the honor of knowing um, one of the leading authorities in in the world on um, eating disorders, males with eating disorders, who and his name is Dr. Jason Nagata. He's at mm-hmm. UCSF, and he also um, specializes or is an expert in muscle dysmorphia. Okay. And so where, you know, he is seeing a lot of that go on in the gyms as well. So an excessive amount of time spent in the gyms, mm-hmm. the never, you know, never enough, never big enough. And so um, my colleague, the dietitian that I spoke about, Wendy Sterling, my co-author, mm-hmm. um, is very familiar with that topic as well as Jason Nagata. But yes, muscle dysmorphia is something that we're seeing more mm-hmm. of. Um and, you know, it's an interesting time for males. We've got, you know, <laughs> we've got role models like The Rock. Right. And don't get me wrong. I think he's a really cool dude, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, but he's very big. Um, and we've got the Marvel movies. And so it definitely mm-hmm. there's there's a different kind of pressure going on for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. I should point out that there's a very big difference in the way that males experience body dissatisfaction um, than females. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so males, you know, it, it doesn't show up in the same way. So males want to be taller. They want more muscle. They want less fat. They want a bigger head of hair. You know, right. so it looks it looks a lot different than than the body dissatisfaction that we're that we're seeing with females. Right. And and. Some of this I've seen, which is interesting, is as we're going on in time, you have the model industry, whether that be yes. male or female, 
there's only certain males that can do a certain type of modeling. You got the runway versus the print <laughs> or advertisements or wh whatever right. it may be. Um, and, and certain individuals are wanting to attain a different look so that they can branch on over or they're just not meeting that height or whatever. Um, right. But, but it's just important to, for everyone to whatever industry you're in, um, whether that also be athletes, <laughs> the, the, oh, the sure. huge one that uh, sure. we didn't really mention, um, gymnasts wrestling like a certain, certain weight, um, yes. just to always be mindful, uh, whatever industry you're in, uh, or your family members, or your friends, um, just kind of knowing what to look for and what are those red flags that, so that you can get that, that help you're before right. it's too late. And that's a great that's a great example of a warning sign because it's easier for people to quote unquote hide in sports. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're not you're not going to be red flagged by your um, think about us on the swim team. Um, yeah. You're not going to be red flagged by somebody's swim team workout early hours as well as after school as you would you know a young person that's walking that many hours a day and they're not on a team of any kind. And so it's easier to hide in sports and. Um, we're, we're definitely including a lot of that in our parent book because of the work that Wendy, my co-author, does with athletes. And, mm -hmm. and our colleague, uh, Dr. Riley Nichols, is the, is the director of a place called the Victory Program in Kansas City, which mm -hmm. is the only residential program in the United States that treats athletes with eating disorders. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's quite the niche within a niche. Yeah. 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 But it's good to know about those resources, too. I'm yeah. Glad you brought it up. Um, and we will we'll go ahead and um, tag your your different social media and websites and and whatnot that people can um, kind of get some more information about what you've done and what you're continuing to do in this field, which is fabulous. And I just hope Thank it continues you, to grow. Um, and maybe we'll have you on in the future, and you can tell us how th things are going now that people oh, are yeah. out of COVID time. Totally. Um, oh yeah. Because I think we will see when we when everybody kind of emerges from their their homes and they're back in the school, and we're going to see social services will will become more involved with other issues. They because when I was in social services, we didn't have a whole lot of issues issues with eating disorders on our caseload. It was more right. It was more the trauma of the the physical side of it, or the you know sure. the other types of abuse or neglect. So I think we're going to see a whole different area there and. Um, you'll probably see that more with school age kids and, and parents so coming forward. So maybe in the future we can regroup and you can tell us what's, what's the newer trends and what we yeah. can do as parents, uh, as family members of support, uh, friendships. Uh, you know, if yes. you're seeing somebody struggling, don't, don't shame them. Just support them. And right. you know, it's as easy as my daughter the other day who's 21. She's like, I really want that, that meal. It looks really good, but do I really need it? I don't know. Do you? I mean, I don't know what you've eaten in your day. I'm not going to say yes or no. Right, right. So it's it's processing whatever that person needs in their, their daily environment. And not to say definitely no outright. You don't, you know, we don't know what happened in the other 23 hours of their day. Exactly. So um, exactly. just to kind of just be, be there for people and support them. And just, um, and if they need emotional help on this, they need resources. There are people like Cigna out there. There are, uh, there are books to help you. And I just really thank you for being here and um, just really shining some light on on eating disorders and and kind of normalizing it in a way just to help move a little bit more of that stigma that you know people can ask for help 
Well, thank you, Kristen. It's been so nice to reconnect with you. Absolutely. I've told you already, but I'll say it on air. There's just something about reconnecting with a friend that you knew all throughout your formative years. Yeah. It's like a time of life that you don't have with anybody else. So this has been really special. I thank you so much I thank for you. having me on. And say hello to your family. I and, sure will. Um, we'll be keeping in touch. And I'm, I'm hoping that uh, you're... You're finalizing your book and getting that those uh, those deadlines met, and that yeah. goes goes successfully for you and your colleagues. And uh, we just wish you the best. Absolutely, thank you, Kristen. Thank you for joining okay. us. Okay, you have a good night. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you, everyone, for okay. joining us on this episode. Um, again, go ahead and uh, click on the links in the podcast episode. Head on over to dgfgllc.com. You can also find those links there. The spring sale for the grabbing the mic merchandise uh, is there as well. Um, $10 off the hoodies, $5 off the tees, and uh, go ahead and reach on out. Thank you for supporting us, and uh, we'll be back with you next week with Nikki um, and another great topic coming your way. Thanks for listening to Grabbing the Mic with Nikki Judge and Friends. Tune in weekly for new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Visit us at dgfgllc.com for new updates, sign up for the Grab in the Mic newsletter, and links for the podcast merchandise. Thanks for listening to Grabbing the Mic with Nikki Judge and Friends. Tune in weekly for new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Visit us at dgfgllc.com for new updates. Sign up for the Grabbing the Mic newsletter and links for the podcast merchandise.